Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. The Law Enforcement Today radio show and our app brought to you in part by Galls.com. Great folks. Industry leader, 50 years in business, and they're making a commitment to people that listen to Law Enforcement Today with some amazing giveaways. you got to stay tuned, listen up. Galls is stepping up to the plate, and remember, we believe in supporting those who support law enforcement. A guest that I've been excited to get on the show. We've been trying to make this happen for a couple weeks. Chris Orton, retired Travis County, Texas deputy, correct? Travis County Sheriff's Office in Austin, Texas, retired as a detective. Uh, Austin, awesome, man. I'm so glad you're here. And uh, I know we've gone through a couple hoops. We've had you scheduled before and had to cancel. So thanks so much for being resilient and flexible and joining us today in law enforcement today. It's a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be on. How long have you been retired? A little over one year. Oh, so you got the big one year out of the way. That that first year is a big change, isn't it? I don't think it was for me. I was 29 years, two months, two weeks. I was done. I knew I was done and never looked back. I say that because Robert's still active. I was retired at 11 years and four months due to line of duty injury. And, you know, I went to work one day, had a violent incident, got hurt, uh, underwent some surgeries and was gone. So I wasn't prepared for it at all. It was a big transition. Uh, how long were you on uh, the Sheriff's Department? Uh, 20, 29 years and two months. You said that already. 29 years, two he's, months, how many he's, days? He's old, Chris. 29 years, two months, how many days and how many hours? <laughs> uh, two, two months and two weeks, can't tell you the hours. Gotcha. So what have you been doing over the past year? And you sound excited over the you know about your retirement so tell me about that so yes i uh i wanted to do 30 years um but the way the travis county sheriff's office was treating some of their employees who were struggling with ptsd and mental health issues and me being the peer support advocate that i was i just couldn't watch it anymore even though it wasn't affecting me Literally, personally, I should say, it was affecting me quite a bit um, with just overall sadness of what what they had sunk to. So I moved my retirement up 10 months. I just called my sergeant and said, I'm done. And she didn't know what that meant. And I was like, I'll be in Wednesday to submit my letter of retirement and I'll work one more month to clear up all my cases and I'm out of here. And so, yeah, I did that. Sat around for four months, did nothing other than I continued my peer support endeavors and got an opportunity to work up at my grandkids' school, mowing lawns and weed eating and picking up trash. So I did that. And that transitioned into now that I'm a substitute school teacher up there. Good for you. Good yeah, I actually got to sub my second grade granddaughter's class yesterday, which was kind of an awesome deal. I can tell right away that you have far more patience than I've ever dreamed of having in my life. I could never see me being a teacher. It wouldn't last maybe 10 minutes. That'd be throwing me out the well, door. I've, it's a real small school district. Pre-K through 12 are all on one campus. Wow. The kindergartners literally have, have uh, at times can... Um, cross paths with 12th graders again you know the graduating class this year will probably be 20 to 30 kids that's how small a town this is and um, so I've taught high schoolers and elementaries and then tomorrow and Friday I get to teach my sixth grade middle school grandson so we'll see how that goes (laughs) and we would probably want to have him on as a guest in the future talk about how how mean his grandfather is as a teacher Well, I coach my grandkids in basketball, and I'm uh, 
I'm not mean, but I'm pretty strict out there. And, uh, so, so they, they, uh, they don't see me ever be mean, but they de- definitely will see me be strict. Well, that's part of what comes with the territory of working in law enforcement. You have to develop, at least I had to, a stern side. You know, I had a reputation of being firm but fair, you know, and, yeah. and we, you, you outline people's options to them. Hey, listen, you can go have a great weekend. You got to walk away from here or you get hauled off to jail is your choice. Yeah. you weren't necessarily mean about it but hey there's not a lot of flexibility those are your two choices so i right. i could see where that would probably be beneficial for someone with coaching and and teaching as well and it's thank you by the way for giving back to your community even your retirement yeah i uh monday night at basketball practice i had four sixth graders and two fifth graders and all they wanted to do was shoot three pointers and scrimmage and we have one hour in the gym. That's it. And we only get half the gym. And they were being little knuckleheads. So I finally told them, I said, all right, you guys go ahead and scrimmage and shoot three pointers. And I'm going to uh, go sit in the bleachers and watch you. Mm. And they just, they just stood there like speechless. I said, well, do you want to, because the team, one of the teams we'll be playing was practicing at the opposite end of the court. And it's their friends and classmates on this other team. I go, do you want to beat them? And they're like, yes. I go, well, you will not beat them if you just scrimmage and shoot three-pointers. That's exactly if right. You want, if you want to beat them, you have to listen to what I said. You tell me what y'all want to do. And they're all like, okay, we'll practice. It was pretty funny. So we see the, the cop in you is still coming out. We're going to take a short break. I will return our conversation with Chris Orton in just a few moments. This is Law Enforcement Today. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Galls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Galls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Galls.com today. If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military, considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave online at honorthebrave.com. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 3ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.the3ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 3ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the Listen, easy way. My life changed because someone was there to get me to use drugs. No one can understand. People think that having someone who will listen makes it better. I need help. I'm listening. I need help. I think that having someone who will listen makes it better. People understand. No one can get me to use drugs. My life changed because someone was there to listen. Go to heretolisten.com for tips and tools to turn addiction around. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back to Law Enforcement Today. Chris, let's jump back in time, go back about 30 years now, and what got you into our chosen profession? Well, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, a child of the 60s and the 70s, and my dad was a Detroit police officer from 1967, which I believe that was the year of the riots, Mm -hmm. until, until 1980. 
and he got uh, fed up with our people being promoted ahead of him who literally couldn't write a report without a hundred grammatical errors. And he just, one day he quit and hung it up. So that's what I grew up around was cops in Detroit, Michigan. So I knew that someday that was what I wanted to do. They got a tough job up there. It's not, it's a, it's a tough job everywhere, but Detroit certainly got a unique set of challenges. So you were, in the Austin, Texas area, is that when you got hired or did you get hired and moved down there? I left Detroit, Michigan when I was 22 and I joined the Army and served in the Army for three years. And while I was in the Army, my father and mother moved to Texas and I wanted my children to grow up by their grandparents. So we moved to Texas when I got out of the Army. Excellent. Thank you for your service, not only as a uh, deputy sheriff, but also in the U.S. Army. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. My dad, um, when he moved to Texas, he went to the Travis County Sheriff's Office in 1985, and they hired him on the spot because he was a, a cook in the Army when he was in, and that, at that particular moment, they needed a cook. So they hired my dad to work in the jail as a cook. Um, he eventually became a floor officer. So when I got out of the Army in 1987, I applied for Travis County because that's where my dad worked. And I started off on the floor on August 16th of 1987. And how long were you on the floor in corrections? Three years. That must have been tough. I, I couldn't imagine doing that. Yeah, it was actually, it was a great learning experience to prepare me better for what I would see out on the street. Austin, Travis County is not an extremely violent city, but, you know, we still have our share. And the three years in the jail really opened my eyes to what kind of people existed in the world that I didn't, I couldn't imagine the warped people that were in the world. So working in the jail really opened my eyes up before I hit the street. You know, a lot of departments... You have to work the jail before you hit the road, a lot of sheriff's office. And I've, I have a lot of friends that have done the same thing that you have, Chris, and they tell me the first thing and the most important thing they learned in their years in corrections was how to speak to people. You do. You learn how to speak to people. You know, you know just as I do, there's police officers and corrections officers who talk derogatory and down to and rudely to everybody. I fortunately have never been that guy. And so working in the jail, inmates, not saying they didn't try to get over on me because I'm sure they were trying, but they didn't harass me or give me as near the heart of time as they did some of the other officers. And then you hit the streets. And how would you summarize your career uh, in the sheriff's department in, uh, I guess we call it patrol and then as a detective? I served three years on the street, which is nothing, and didn't care for my sergeants or my lieutenant, so I was able to go over to CID, the investigative unit, with every attention of working there a year or two and then transferring back to patrol, because I didn't have the patrol bug out of my system by any means. Well, while I was in the CID, they actually created a rank called detective and it included a pay raise. And I was already up there as a deputy. So I took the exam and I got promoted and I had every Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving off for 23 years. That's uh, pretty nice. <laughs> That's awfully because, rare. Because I chose to stay in CID and never promote to Sergeant Lieutenant Yada yada yada. Because that would they would send you right back to patrol, usually midnight nice, shift. Yeah. 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 Weekends, holidays, yeah, yeah. all that. Chris Right. You you spoke about something I want to touch on and you know, it's a common thing where a road patrol officer eh, let's put it nicely, doesn't get along with their immediate supervisors. What type of issues briefly did you incur that actually made you leave the road, like you said, after just three short years? Uh, my main sergeant <clears throat> happened to be one of my training officers a few years earlier. 
And this this guy literally taught me how to scam the system, how to get out of calls, how to what words to write your report to where you wouldn't be held accountable for not taking fingerprints at a burglary or whatever. The guy just taught me how to scam the system. We called and them humps back in our day. Humps. I, humps. Remer- I, I remember my dad using that word in Detroit. He's a hump. That's, that's and, how uh, old Jay is. So he started holding, trying to call me out on stuff he thought I was being lazy about which I disagreed. I didn't think I was being lazy, but it was so hypocritical of what he was pointing out to me. And then I knew his dirty deeds as my training officer. And he was my main sergeant. The other sergeant was the Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. Uh-huh. He saw he saw nothing. He heard nothing. Um, he <laughs> just put so the blinders funny. on. And the lieutenant was also a Sergeant Schultz. If I would go to him about my sergeant, his answer was, you two just need to work it out. Yeah. And I was like, no. So I went to CID, and who knew that I'd be there for 23 straight years. How did you transition into peer support, uh, working with other officers who've been through you know, horrible critical incidents? So I had my own PTSD. Um, I had a full-blown uh, mental health breakdown in my cubicle. On December 27th of 06, while assigned to the child abuse unit, and I had this mental health breakdown, and nobody in my cubicle area, nor did I, even recognize that I had this breakdown, and I just thought I had a bad day, and I had to escape the building because I was having what I assume was the first anxiety attack of my life. And I couldn't breathe. And I was seeing little blue dots and my hands were sweaty and I was hot and I was cold. But I was gasping for air. And looking back now, somebody certainly should have called 911 for me, but nobody did. And I went outside. The fresh air helped. Went back to my cubicle. And as soon as I hit the threshold of my cubicle, all those physiological things started up again. So I went home, and that was December 27th, 06. Sometime in January, I pulled a muscle in my neck to the point where I couldn't turn right or left without turning my entire upper torso. The pain was so excruciating, I ended up in the emergency room. They put me on all these muscle relaxants, pain pills, and even prescribed that I go to physical therapy, and none of that was helping. So I went to my family doctor. Basically told told him the same thing I'm telling y'all right now. And then he felt my shoulders and my chest and my arms and my back. And he goes, Chris, your your whole upper torso is hard as a rock. And he's been my doctor for 30 years. He goes, and I know it's not from lifting weights. And, you know, ha, ha, ha. He was right. It wasn't. So when I told him about what had been going on in my cubicle and what had been going on with the emergency room, He literally gave me this really little, I have to say it was a 10-question test, and based on that, he was able to determine that I was suffering from some sort of anxiety or depressive-type illness, and then, of course, he referred me to a psychiatrist and a psychologist. So I thought of suicide daily in 07 and 08. I had a plan in my mind, but I never wrote it out never put a gun to my head or my mouth. My plan was to uh, break into the sheriff's office and literally the sheriff's office, not the headquarters building, card myself in there and then break into his office, sit on the floor, lean my back against his door and shoot myself. And the note is going to say, see, with some expletives, you should have helped me when you had the chance. And nobody knew that story. You know, I didn't start sharing that story until five or six years ago. Through therapy and medication, I became better. And as I was becoming better, I was so angry and bitter at the sheriff's office because my PTSD diagnosis was cumulative. It wasn't from a single triggering event like a lot of guys. 
Mine was cumulative years of dead kids, years of dead teenagers, years of destruction. And all those things to take, take a terrible, terrible toll on, uh, I, I say, not just our, our, our mental health, our spiritual and, and emotional health as well. It's just devastating. Chris, were you married at the time? Oh, yeah. I've been married since 1982. So, yes, I was. How was your relationship? I imagine it was probably deteriorating when you're going through all of this. It was. It was horrible. Um, I started self-medicating with alcohol, particularly Jack Daniels, to the point of blackout pretty much seven nights a week. And uh, so if I was drinking and hanging out with people who were drinking, of course, my wife was hanging out with me. And, you know, spouses can certainly uh, develop what they call secondary PTSD. And my wife absolutely did develop that chris for me how do you get to having a pinched nerve in your neck going to see a doctor and then thinking of this plan about going into the sheriff's office and blowing your brains out i have no idea how you get there it's what my what 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 what's been explained to me by master level therapists and psychologists all the way up to PhD level psychologists and psychiatrists is your brain will only absorb so much trauma. And at a certain point, it shuts down your nervous system and says, I'm done. I'm full. You can put no more in here. And that is watching two 16-year-olds get jaws of life out of a a Volkswagen slug bug as a young deputy in 1991, which was the first gruesome wreck I ever saw, while their moms and dads were on the side of the road watching them get extricated. Um, They were deceased. And as a young man, I saw this death. I saw two sets of parents and brothers and sisters and everybody outside the yellow tape screaming and crying and the drunk driver that killed them get driven to jail because he didn't have a scratch. And then when you're done with that call, you go to the local 7-Eleven, you get a cup of coffee, and then the dispatcher sends you to your next call. Right. And you don't process it properly. You know, all these sights, sounds, and smells from these traumatic events can be processed. But sometimes your brain needs help processing it, processing it. And that's where critical incident stress management comes in. That's where peer support comes in. And if those types of programs don't help process the traumatic event that you witnessed, then it's time to go see a therapist. And I'm glad you did. Chris, we're gonna have to take a break We'll come back in a few moments. Chris Orton, retired Travis County, Texas Sheriff's Detective. Back in a few. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-610-9060. That's 800-610-9060. 800-610-9060. 
If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave online at honorthebrave.com. Driving means freedom, exploration, fun, pride, flexibility, friendship, independence. Distracted driving means danger, recklessness, irresponsible, chaos, police, devastation, injuries, death. Safe driving means staying alert and staying alive. Visit stoptextstoprex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Galls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Galls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Galls.com today. We are back. Before we turn to the conversation, be sure to like us on Facebook, search for Law Enforcement Today, and check out our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. We are back talking with retired Travis County, Texas, which is outside of the Austin, Texas area, Sheriff's Deputy Chris Orton. Chris, you were talking about your own bouts with post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, how it led you into peer support and critical incident stress management, which we'll get into in a few moments. One of the things that you talked about, and, and quite honestly, with a lot of candor, which I appreciate, is how you went from being functioning, doing well, to having uh, ideations of suicide and showing the sheriff what what you and your job did to me and what it hasn't done for me. And you barely skimmed on how it affected your, your marriage, your relationship at home. I know for a lot of officers, this is a big, big problem. Could you go into a little more detail about what it was like for you and your spouse? It was lots of arguing, lots of yelling. Um, fortunately, nothing ever became physical, although I did break my hand punching walls after an argument, um, walked away from the argument and punched the wall, and immediately my hand exploded. It swelled, swelled up. But, you know, the next day we kissed, we made up, and we just started hanging out with people we shouldn't have been hanging out with. Not that they were felons or criminals. They just weren't the people we normally hang out with. I was drinking and driving. It was always short distances, so I would justify it with that. And it was just it, drinking, 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 and self-medicating. Right. And, 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 and this started before I was actually diagnosed. So when we started drinking more, I had no clue that it was related to self-medicating. I just thought, we're, we're bigger drinkers than we used to be. You know, didn't put any thought into it at all. Did you have children it, at this time, Chris? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my kids are 28 and 31 now. So my daughter was a senior in high school, transitioning into college. My son was already in college. And one of the, one of the stories I share when I teach my class, and it still chokes me up to this day, which... It's uh, with all the therapy I've been through, I'm surprised it still chokes me up, but it does. Is I remember when my son, when, when you have uh, severe depression, you will, at least for me, and I've heard other people agree, is you sleep a lot. And so I was either in bed or on the couch. And I would look out, I lived on land, lots of work to do on my land. I'd look out, I'd see the work. 
And I go, well, you know what? I'm going to take a little nap, and then I'm going to go do it. Uh-huh. And literally months and months and months went by. Well, one time I was laying on the couch. Well, when you're laying on the couch and you're huddled up in the fetal position under your favorite little blanket, people think you're sleeping. And sometimes you are and sometimes you're not. You're just there. And you're a shell. And my son, who's 31 now, this was probably back in 07 or 08, so he was in his early 20s. He had his fiance with him. That's time, I think it was just his girlfriend. And I heard him say this, I wish you knew my dad. And his girlfriend said, she kind of chuckled and said, I know your dad. He's laying right there. And my son said, that's not my dad. And they don't, they know now that I heard that. Right. But back then, nobody knew I heard that. And I think that reinforces what you already felt at the time. Yes. Yes. So, and then another phone, I heard my wife on the phone one time and I was fetaled up and I could, based on the conversation, I knew she was talking to my daughter, you know, a couple hours away at college. And my wife, I heard my wife say, yeah, he's still on the couch. So that tells me my daughter said, his dad on the couch or is he in bed? So they saw it. My kids and wife became extremely bitter towards Travis County. I think my daughter's moved on and I know I have, but my daughter, my son and my wife, they still hate Travis County. Gotcha. Hate them, hate them, hate them. Because they know that when I got paged on Christmas or Easter as a detective to go to the drownings of little kids, I went. But when their husband and father needed help, it was cricket. Let's pause and take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Remember, support those who support law enforcement today. We'll be back in just a few moments. Public safety professionals are regular people that heroically rush forward. Despite the fire or the storm, despite the worst of society and the undeserved contempt, they rush in to save, to protect, to hold our nation together. For more than 50 years, Gauls has stood with our troops stationed abroad and with our nation's first responders who serve us here at home every day. Gauls, proud to serve America's public safety professionals. Visit Gauls.com today. I'm probably okay to have one more drink before I drive home. I'm probably okay. I open the window to stay alert. Probably okay. I just popped some gum in my mouth. Step out of the car, please. I probably made a mistake. Probably okay isn't okay when it comes to drinking and driving. If you see a warning sign, stop and call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzzed driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you are current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military and are considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave. Honor the Brave is a nationwide real estate program that allows these families to keep more of their hard-earned money. 10% of the agent's commission goes back to you. Additionally, they donate 5% of the commission to the nonprofit of your choice. Current or previous law enforcement, firefighter, or military considering buying or selling real estate, contact Honor the Brave online at honorthebrave.com. As a small business owner, there's one word that you absolutely dread, payroll. For small businesses, it's a big burden. You may think you're saving time and money doing it yourself. But come on, are you? Timesheets, processing checks, calculating taxes, a total waste of your time. Paychecks simplifies payroll processing, saving you time and money. Submit your payroll online, fax it in, or call your dedicated Paychecks payroll specialist. And you're done! Learn more at trypaychecks.com. Come on, do the math. The IRS dishes out 8 million penalties a year. Make one mistake and you're on the hook. On average, you're losing nearly one business day every month doing payroll. That's time and money you'll never get back, unless you get paychecks. More than half a million small businesses already do. Call 877-375-3164. Trade payroll pressure for peace of mind. Call now, 877-375-3164. That's 877-375-3164. Back to the conversation. This is Law Enforcement Today. And how long ago was that? He says 2007, 2008? 
Yes, sir. Yeah, I, my breakdown was at the December 27th of 06, and I pretty much suffered till I really started turning the corner around 2011. Chris, what words of wisdom can you share that you've learned from this, and, and what do you tell others so that they don't fall down this deep, dark hole? Training, training, training. You know, the sheriff's office and most police departments around the United States, we got to send our guys to driving school. We got to send our guys to shooting school. We have to send our guys to um, accident reconstruction school. We need to take our, send our guys to interview and interrogation technique schools. We need to send our kids to all the different trainings that cops need. But you'll never hear any of these chiefs or sheriffs say, we need to send our guys to peer support training. And I get it. I get it. They don't, they don't, they don't understand it. If we send our guys to driving school and shooting school, we alleviate a lot of our liability if there's a bad accident and a citizen get hurt, a citizen gets hurt, or if a shooting goes bad and a citizen gets hurt, we've sent our guys to all this training. It's, it's good to have, but it's for me, it's the administrators are CYA exactly. themselves. Exactly. So in 2011, a very well-respected senior deputy at Travis County, who was also a command I believe a command sergeant major, maybe just a sergeant major. Either way, he was way up the food chain in the Texas National Guard. He was tasked with teaching a PTSD class at Travis County in 2011. And I heard about it in 2010. So I got a hold of him and I said, hey, Rick, if there's anything I can do to help you with your class, let me know. He says, can we meet? So we met. And this guy has been at the training academy most of his 30 years. That's how good he is at shooting and driving and CPR and all that goes with teaching new officers. And he goes, Chris, I've never been scared to teach a class till this class. And I was like, why is that? And he goes, for one, I don't know anything about PTSD. So how am I going to teach it? And two, the audience isn't going to know anything about it. And he goes, I don't feel they're going to embrace it because it's not what we're used to learning about. Well, we taught at the Travis County Sheriff's Office in 2011, there would be 26 or 27 40-hour mandatory training, in-service training work weeks, which would include every uniformed officer, whether it was the jail or the street, and detectives. So Rick said, that the way I could help him teach this four-hour class was to share my story. Now, you got to remember, this is when I was still in recovery mode. And I told my story 27 times, basically every other week for one full year. And to tell my story, which includes the names of seven-year-olds that I carried who had just been recovered from a drowning, it takes about an hour. Well, it did back then. Anyway... The class was very successful, and at least one and as many as five officers reached out for help in each one of the 26 or 27 classes that we taught. So I asked the sheriff if I could teach a more detailed peer support class, kind of as a follow-up to the 2011 class which we did. And it's the class that I still teach today. I actually taught it last Friday and two people have already reached out for help since last Friday. That, that's great that, that people are reaching out. You're having an impact. Where are you so, teaching a class? Well, let, almost I want to finish my point to the, uh, what can help or impact the officers. And I said, training, 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 but I want to give an example of the mentality of some of these people I went to the lieutenant of the training academy and I said to him, all our employees start off in a, about a 400 hour or 300 hour basic corrections officer training before they get to go to the floor and become trainees. So they're cadet status at this academy and they teach them what internal affairs is. They teach them 
two weeks of fighting um, defense tactics. Just all that goes with teaching somebody how to be a good corrections officer. So I went to him and I said, can I have four hours of your three or 400 hours to teach these guys about PTSD and peer support? And his answer was, they have no concept of PTSD. It doesn't make sense to teach them. And I really was just in shock at his answer. And I said, well, Lieutenant, they don't have any perception of being attacked by four inmates, but you teach them about it. Right. They don't have any perception of being spit on or having vomit, a colostomy bag, or urine thrown at them, but you talk about it and you teach them. They don't have any concept of PTSD. Let's teach them. And because he did not have an answer, he just looked at me, crossed his arms, and said, it's not happening. And here it is, 2017, six years later, they're still not teaching the cadets anything about peer support or PTSD. As a matter of fact, since I left, in two, since 2014, they haven't taught, so three years they haven't taught anything. So any new employees, they don't have any clue about peer support or PTSD. Why is that, so you it's, think? It's a matter of convincing the powers to be that this is important. We had a sergeant commit suicide on duty mm -hmm. two years ago. The sheriff, Greg Hamilton, got on TV once about a week after his death, and he said this, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. If I would have been there when that happened, I would have been arrested. Because when you say, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something, and he was alluding to training and classes, whatever, and programs, I lost it. I started screaming, yelling, crying, because I taught the class in 2011, 12, 13, and 14, and then and was working on a peer support team. I had 50 applications for a peer support team. And just on a side note, the same guy that told me it's not happening at the training academy, he became my captain as a detective, and he shut me down with peer support. So when the sergeant killed himself, for the sheriff to stand up there and say, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something, you can see how it rang with me, knowing that I was already doing something, but you let it go away. And it, it seems to me that, and I, I hate to use generalizations, but it seems to me, and this is my experience as well, that when officers get promoted and get in command, and they've been away from the streets for a long period of time, they have a different mindset. And it's like, uh, uh, in their mind, ignorance is bliss. Absolutely. Well, it started out way back when, when his FTO <laughs> was teaching something to him, and then his FTO became his sergeant and put a different hat on at that yeah. point. Yeah, and, it's, and it happens all too often. So when you go with a great idea about saving lives of officers, because this is not just something with Travis County, this is nationwide. And one of the things they talk about is, it's, it's like a triad of three things, self-medicating with alcohol, PTSD, isolation, depression, it goes along with that, trouble in their relationships at home, and trouble at work. And those those things combine usually end with police, law enforcement-related suicides. And then you have people say, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. When people have been yelling about this, yourself and others like me and and. Andy O'Hara and other organizations have been yelling about this for decades. Yes. And the Department of Justice did a study, and I can actually email you a copy of that study. But the study, there, there's a, a, a pretty well-known EMDR therapist in Austin by the name of Rick Levinson. And Rick teaches existing therapists how to do EMDR therapy. And Rick is so respected that he was invited to Washington to be part of this study. I want to say it was in 2011 or 12. And the Department of Justice said to these experts that they called in, we want you to do a study on the negative effects that 
goes along with being a child abuse investigator. And real quick into their study, they said, we just need to do this for law enforcement in general because it's that big of a problem. It is. So that, so they did their study and they came up with three recommendations. And the three recommendations are training from top to bottom because if the chief and the sheriff don't go, the other people tend to go, well, if they're not going, it must not be that important. Or if they're not going, if I do come forward with my mental health issue, they haven't been through this training, they're not going to get it. So Department of Justice recommendation, training top to bottom to include your custodians, to include your secretaries, because they are hearing these officers talk about the dead kids and the dead babies. They were friends with the sergeant who committed suicide. So they're being traumatized every day, just a little differently. Recommendation two, form peer support teams. Recommendation three, provide easy access to trauma-based therapy to all your employees. And what happens is when you go forward to HR today and say, hey, I'm struggling, they say, oh, go to EAP, you get five free visits. So you go to EAP and you get some therapist who's recently out of college who's never spoke to a cop in their lives, and now I'm going to go in there and talk up to them about holding Johnny and Susie's brain matter. They can't help me. So the recommendation of trauma-based therapists, that means these therapists have training and experience in dealing with first responders. The Department of Justice made these three recommendations at least five years ago. And I guarantee the majority of law enforcement agencies around the United States aren't implementing any of them. And they're not. A lot of some are. Some are. We talked to some. They've gotten remarkably proactive about it, and others have not. You mentioned a term that uh, I've heard a lot down here in South Florida EMDR. Can you explain briefly, very briefly, what that is? EMDR stands for eye movement. The D stands for desensitization. The R stands for reprocessing. The therapy replicates REM sleep. When we reach REM sleep, which most first responders do not reach, most people don't, if you don't reach REM sleep, you do not process the memories of that day and the days prior. So those memories float around in your brain and they don't go and get stored where they're supposed to be stored. Your brain stores everything very, very carefully and in, a, in the place where it's supposed to be stored. So the re- reason they call it eye movement is the therapist will have you discuss your traumatic event while they move their finger back and forth, sort of like that DWI test. Uh-huh. That being said, eye movement is a poor name for it because when I do that form of therapy, I close my eyes and my therapist taps my knees. Or you can hold paddles that vibrate right to left, left to right. So it truly is called, the, 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 the correct explanation of it is, is bilateral stimulation. So when your brain is being bilaterally stimulated and you're talking about the traumatic event, you are reprocessing it. So that's the R in the MDR. And while you're reprocessing it and they're tapping your knee or moving their finger, you become desensitized to it. So I remember working the crime scene where one of my friends got murdered by a bad guy on a search warrant. I remember carrying Corey, who was seven years old, and drowned, and I had to carry his body to the ME van. I remember those events, but they no longer have any negative impact on me because they've been reprocessed and stored properly. Can people get Uh, information about the combat veterans, uh, police, firefighters, EMTs, any first responders that that have PTSD, they're interested in EMDR. Is is there a place online you would send them to get more details? So 
Um, I have no idea how big your audience is, so I, with great caution, <laughs> would say anybody that contacts me anywhere in the United States, to include Canada, I will find somebody, an EMDR therapist, who is first responder knowledgeable. I know how to do that. I get online. I do research. I will call a therapist in Florida. I have several EMDR therapists in Florida right now, and I will call them, and I interview them or vet them, whatever is the proper term, to make sure they're for real when they said, I have treated first responders and veterans because I don't want to send somebody to somebody who's never seen a first responder or a veteran. And then I help them. Chris, how, and, I'm sorry. How can people contact you? Say the best way would be to shoot an email. And your email address is? It's county, C-O-U-N-T-Y, fuzz, F-U-Z-Z, and then 2323, the, the numbers 2323 at AOL.com. And you do get the county fuzz, right? Yep, yep. I get it. Yep. It's a great name, by I, the way. I love it. I worked for the sheriff's office, but when I was a kid, I always heard kids call my dad the fuzz or a pig. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I worked for the county, so I've had county fuzz. I've had that email address for over 20 years, and people make fun of me because I'm still with AOL. <laughs> But I, I'm like, I can't change. I'm an old dog, and I don't want to learn a new trick. So, Well, we're not going to uh, bust your chops too badly about being on AOL. Chris Horton, thank you so very much for spending time with us today. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. One of the questions we get all the time, and we try to address it so often, is how do people contact us? It's so easy these days with social media and emails. They can contact you at jay at lawenforcementtoday.com. Myself, Robert, at lawenforcementtoday.com on our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today. Get that word, Law Enforcement Today, in your head. Uh, Or you can just go to the Law Enforcement Today website. Down at the bottom of the page is a Contact Us page. Hit us up with a message, and we will be sure to get back to you. On behalf of everyone associated from Law Enforcement Today, I'm John J. Wally. Till next time, see ya. You didn't do that very good. It's see ya. (laughs) 